Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. My name is Brian Thomas Crop. I'm the host of this show, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you, so much so that I have enjoyed sharing them with you for 100 weeks in a row. I don't know that I've ever done anything for 100 weeks in a row other than breathe. Um, yeah, that's... Anyway... I didn't think I was going to get this far uh, with uh, the consistency of this podcast. And here we are at episode 100. So if you are new to the show, what a great time to be here on a milestone week. I hope that uh, you have a good time with us today. The way this show goes is um, in an effort to um, uh, like the reason that the show exists at all was I started writing books and wanting other people to know about them. And because I, I thought people would enjoy the stories. I enjoyed uh, writing them. I, I enjoyed them so much that even on multiple readings going through the revision process, I still liked the stories and thought other people would too. And realized that I am, uh, I am not well connected in the world of many things. So I know that the way that someone is going to find out about my book is if I tell them and then they'll go, oh, someone I know wrote a novel. And I realized that if, if it's someone I know wrote a novel, it's probably not good. It's just on average, that's how that goes. We, we, uh, at the church that I work at, we made a movie once and I realized uh, most people... Uh, when they go see theater, they're going to like a high school performance or a community theater thing. And the, the performance is okay, but it's not stellar. And so if you say, hey, my church is putting on a play, do you want to come? The bar is kind of set low and you can come and you can watch that and it's okay. However, a lot of people have seen some amazing movies. And so if you said, hey, some folks at my church made a movie, you want to see it, you're probably going to, that's probably going to be terrible. Um, I don't know why that is. And I think the same thing goes for like, hey, a friend of mine wrote a book, you want to read it? No, no, I really don't. <laughs> so uh, in an effort to that, uh, I started this podcast uh, to kind of get the story beyond the, the cover on an Amazon uh, sales page and actually get into the story um, so that uh, you might discover, hey, I actually do like that story and would want to tell others about that. So I've enjoyed uh, sharing the stories uh, with you. Um, the, the, the way um, the show goes, if you are new, is in just a moment, you're going to hear a word from this week's sponsors, and then we will get into chapter 38 of a novel called Shell Game, which is a detective crime noir, where we are trying to discover uh, our main detective. His name is Evan Gold. He's trying to figure out several things all at the same time, like a good crime noir does. Um, he's trying to figure out who killed his partner back at the beginning of the book. He's trying to protect a um, weird pearl-like thing that may or may not be from another dimension. Um, he's trying to uh, find his client who has uh, gone missing. Um, he. Yeah, and then he's got a marriage that is falling apart and he's hoping that he can uh, dispatch with this case uh, for once and for all before he goes to prison himself because the police think he uh, did the crime. Um, hopefully he can, he can find the right bad guy um, 
before the week is out so that he can save his marriage. So he's got a lot on his plate. Um, He's been through a lot already. Uh, In the show notes, you can see which episode of this show takes you back to episode one of this uh, story. Uh, And then you can also go to my website, briantomascrop.com, and you can read the whole story there for free if you want to catch up. But we will get started with chapter 38 of Shell Game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive, and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires, and being hunted down um, in forests, and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of uh, the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at BrianThomasCrop.com. Chapter 38. Evan ran the four blocks south on Commercial until he reached the front door of the Walnut Grove Apartments. Before opening the door, he stopped and took a breath in the vain hope of composing himself and not raising suspicion. He nodded at the desk clerk as he hit the stairs and climbed up to Claire's floor. If Claire was in trouble, the activity had not raised the attention of anyone in the lobby. He took the stairs by twos, ran the hall to her door, and knocked. No answer. He knocked again. Still no answer. He tried the knob. Locked. But the effort nudged the door open a little. Evan paused a moment before barging into the apartment. Something was up. His mind was running on overdrive, trying to see where the facts headed. If he could just see it all clearly, he told himself, he would be able to guess their endgame. He didn't see Claire or anyone else. He called her name. No answer. He did a quick search and found no trace of Claire anywhere. The place had almost been swept clean. All he saw were two spent glass syringes resting on the bedroom side table. Next to the syringes, he also spied traces of a white powder. For the first time, Evan got scared for Claire's safety. Was she drugged? Was she kidnapped? If so, who did it and where would they have taken her? Evan ran to the bedroom window to see if maybe he could see anyone who looked like they were taking her away from the building. He saw nothing of the kind, but what he did see put his stomach in knots. Through the thickening fog, he spied the shape of a sedan parked across the street. The car's lights turned off, and two men got out of the car, heading like a freight train toward the Walnut Grove. Based on their walks and sizes, Evan guessed them to be Lieutenants Abrams and Short. 
By the time the detectives entered the lobby, Evan had pulled up the window sash, slipped out the window, climbed onto the fire escape, and closed the window behind him. Through the grate of the fire escape, he noticed uniformed officers taking positions at both ends of the alleyway. Evan saw only one option. He placed his hands on the nearby metal ladder and started his climb to the roof. Once there, Evan hunched down to stay below the roof line as much as possible while still moving quickly. He wasn't sure what could or couldn't be seen through the fog, and he didn't want to tip his hand to the police, especially since Evan didn't know what was going on and since the syringes and powder started to feel like a trap he'd just avoided. If he got caught now, he had almost no believable defense. He had to keep moving. He had to find out where all these con artists were. Evan scooted across the top of several buildings till he found an open roof access door, made his way down through the building's stairwell, and out a side door to the street. Evan stopped and checked to see if he'd been followed. The fog was so thick it was impossible to know. It took him half a minute to reorient to where in Athens he was, and once again zigzagged through some alleys and shops till he made it to the sandwich counter at the back of the Red X Pharmacy. He ordered a Reuben and an iced tea, even though he was not the least bit hungry. He hoped he could look like he belonged and became invisible to the people working there if the police came asking. Evan sat at the counter and rubbed his face with both hands, attempting to reorient his thoughts. Next to the counter, Evan noticed the phone booth. The wooden stall with its bifold door was the perfect hideout while he made and executed some plans. So, while Evan waited on his food, he enclosed himself in the booth, dropped a dime in the phone, and dialed back to his office. Sophie picked up. Can you talk? Yes, Sophie said. Are you alone? Yes. How's our girl? M.I.A., Evan grumbled. I'm pretty sure it was a trap. What do you mean? I'm not sure, but it was certainly a setup for something. I got out of there, but now the place is crawling with cops. My guess is they all think I did whatever they assume happened there. I'm a man out of time. I need to wrap this up and quick. Evan eyed the pharmacy to see if anyone suspicious was casing the place. He saw in the sparsely populated store only the occasional person pursuing the colognes and the other bric-a-brac. How's it going on your end? He asked. Fine, Sophie said. The police show up? Mm-hmm. They want me to go down to the station later and give a statement. Uh-huh, Evan grunted. Then, did you see anyone that looked out of place? Yeah, I was going to tell you. Lauren, or Margot, or whatever her name is, was sniffing around the edges. I don't think she saw me notice her. She hung around in the back of the crowd for a few minutes. I looked up after a while and noticed she was gone. Good thing the police got there first. I tell you, something's not right with that woman. You might have joined the conductor in his fate if things had worked out another way. Oh, I'm worried about you, Evan. Sophie whimpered softly into the phone. I know you're going to tell me you can handle yourself, but this is getting way out of control. I'm worried we won't make it. It pained Evan that he was bringing all the people he even remotely cared about into danger. If he made it out of this scrape in one piece, he would have to do something nice for her. They ended their phone call, and Evan returned to his sandwich and tea. He lingered there for a long while, thinking. He checked his watch. 8.15. He stood, paid his tab, and left the Red X. Again, Evan took a path to his apartment that not even a wild goose could follow. If he was going to be on the lam for a few days, he thought he should get some things out of his apartment. The fog was impossibly thick. Evan assumed that if the police had him in their sights, they would be staking out the front door. He couldn't see if anyone was outside, so he decided to risk coming in through the back entrance. As Evan approached the corner of the building, he felt someone approach from the shadows. He stopped and spun in the direction of the steps. Evan tensed his muscles and readied himself for what was to come. The person who emerged from the mist was Claire Porter. She embraced Evan and buried her face in his shoulder. 
When she looked up into his eyes, Evan could see the trail of tears glistening in the light of the street lamp. Claire's eyes were wide and fearful. Evan, she whispered and held on to him. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've been waiting so long for you. Evan pulled her back to see if she was feeling any effects from the drugs at her apartment. Her eyes seemed clear enough. Did they do anything to you? It's been awful, she whispered, ever since I left your office. Why didn't you do what I told you? Why didn't you go to Sophie's place? I don't know. I guess I'm not very bright. Can we go upstairs? I don't feel safe out here. I knew if I could just find you, you would know what I needed to do next. I'm scared. Sure, Evan said, but we'll have to try the back way. I don't know who all might be watching for you and me. He placed his arm around his client. They made their way up the back stairs, all the while Claire's head rested on Evan's shoulder. He opened the stairwell door to his floor and looked to see if anyone camped by his apartment. Seeing no one, Evan guided Claire to his door. After he fished out his keys, he unlocked the door, tossed his keys on the little side table by the door, and flipped on the lights. In the living room, sitting as comfortably as if he owned the place, sat the man dressed in all black. His eye patch seemed particularly reflective. A moment later, Margot, entering the living room from the kitchen, her gun already drawn and aimed at Evan. Evan noticed that her weapon did not look like any gun he was familiar with, however. Then Harold Huber exited the bedroom with a second gun drawn. Eyepatch laughed satisfactorily. <laughs> Welcome home, Mr. Gold, he said. Won't you come in and sit down? So this wasn't a part of what I wrote in this chapter, but it is something that happened when I was recording. I'm not exactly sure um, how I came up with the voice for um, Eyepatch, except that, again, some of the story was built off the back of the Maltese Falcon. And if you've watched uh, Sydney Greenstreet play uh, Gutman, who is... Um, a very large uh, person, like rotund, I believe is the word. Um, he has a very particular uh, manner of speaking. I, I think everybody in that movie does. And so I wanted to play against that. So like even um, sort of um, the Harold Huber character is sort of in the place of Pierre Laurie's character in Maltese Falcon. And I didn't want to make Harold Huber talk like this. It was just, I couldn't do it. Um, so I made Harold somebody else. But uh, in this case, um, Sidney Greenstreet played a very proper English gentleman in, uh, though he is a very large uh, person, um, he just has a very proper thing. And I'm like, eh, I want to make Eyepatch as creepy as possible. So I ended up talking way down here. And the book says that he laughs. And so I'm like, well, how does a guy laugh? And then how can I make my voice that low laugh? And what came out sounded very much like Jabba the Hutt. And I apologize for that, but uh, there you go. Um, there is a moment in, if you choose to go back and read The Maltese Falcon, one of the nice things about, um, I mean, there were whole kinds of things that were helpful in the writing of this book in using the sort of the story spine of the Maltese Falcon. It's not the only thing that I use. There were other stories um, that I also kind of hodgepodge together, but um, it was a major influence on this. There is a weird moment that I did. I, 
I listened to this book like two or three times and I, for the life of me, do not know why it's there. And they left it out of the movie altogether. Um, but it, it did aid in um, what needs to happen for this chapter in the Maltese Falcon. For one scene and one scene only, there uh, the the bad guy has a daughter, and um, instead of uh, Sam Spade going to an apartment and seeing a bunch of maybe drugs, you see a drugged girl. Um, she's probably in her twenties, um, and he's trying to keep her kind of awake and alive. And um, then there's she gives him some wild goose chase address to go driveway out of town to discover that there's nothing there to come back. And I think it was all just to give the bad guys time with um, Sam Spade out of town to go do some things, but it really doesn't make a lick of sense and it doesn't move the story forward. So like, eh, we'll just cut that part out. But I did need the, uh, the walls to start closing in on Evan so I did like that um, uh, Claire calls because we haven't heard from her in a while and she's been missing for a while. So she calls in, says she's in trouble. We go to her apartment and then there's signs of maybe, maybe she actually is in trouble. And though she is a, a liar and we don't know that we've ever gotten the straight truth out of her, um, maybe she really, maybe she was telling the truth that she is in more trouble than we realized. And um, so... What I really like about that is at the end of the chapter, we find out, no, she really is just a jerk. Um, <laughs> just setting up Evan the whole time. But anyway, um, the nice thing about, you know, reading it, reading a book and building a story off of a book. I don't know that that is necessarily a problem, particularly if you change it in some way and it gives you the opportunity to in your opinion, improve it. I'm not saying that I'm a better writer than Raymond Chandler, but that scene is weird. And, um, you know, in rewriting it, you have the opportunity like, well, I don't like that part. I don't have to do that. I, you know, I am writing uh, my own story. Um, you know, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned <clears throat> that uh, one of the features of this particular podcast is the, you know, you get to find out about Easter eggs and that kind of stuff. Um, there is no longer in Emporia, Kansas, which is the town that Athens, Kansas, where this story takes place. Uh, Emporia is, is, a, is really the city in my head when I'm writing about Athens. Uh, there was a old school drugstore named the Red X Pharmacy that was downtown on Commercial Street for the longest time. My dad, who grew up in Emporia, would tell stories about um, there was a very the one famous person from Emporia, Kansas was William Allen White, who was a newspaper editor and essayist and those kinds of things that he would see William Allen White from time to time go in and out of the Red X Pharmacy. Um, that, that was a big deal uh, to him. Uh, but I would go to the Red X Pharmacy here and there. And when I say old school pharmacy, this is what I mean um, or drugstore. It was, I don't know if there was any medication stronger than aspirin sold at this place. If you are an old school Emporia person and know, it was a long time ago since I've been in there. So let me know 
if if that was a thing. What I remember there being, it was like going into a Walgreens or a CVS. But I really don't remember any medicine there. Like, you know, you go to the these kind of places and there's a pharmacy in the back and you could get medicine. I assume that that was there. But what I remember is all of the junk, um, like... Um, uh, like bookmarks and hand lotion and just all this tchotchke stuff is all throughout. And in the back, there was a lunch counter. So you could go there and uh, get food or whatnot. And um, I really liked that place mostly because of the lunch counter in the back. So one of the, the habits that Evan has been in for um, the whole book is how he gets away from people is he kind of does all this um, walking through different businesses and out alleyways and doubling back on his path and all this kind of stuff to hopefully lose whoever is following him. And I modeled that off of this thing that my mom used to do in summers. My mom was a school teacher and I was a student. And so in the summers, everybody sort of had time off. And so we would go um, run errands around town. And this would, where my house was, was not far from the main business district of Old Emporia on Commercial and Sixth and Exchange and all that. And we would walk downtown and we would run errands. We would go to um, Graves Drugstore and Brown's Shoes and um, all, all these places. And my mom didn't want to be too hot so we would do exactly the same thing that evan would do except we weren't trying to lose no one was chasing us um but we'd go in and out of air conditioning you know throughout and if we needed to visit my dad who worked at the university there we would do the exact same thing through all of the university buildings so we'd be in and out of the science building the education building the this that and the next thing just trying to like stay in air conditioning as much as possible um but sometimes, and maybe this happened twice, but it was huge to me. One of the times um, we would be ducking and diving into all these places. We went into the Red X pharmacy and went to the back and we ordered root beer floats, which I think at the time I thought were was weird. Why would you put ice cream in a root beer? And then I had one. I'm like, oh, this is why you'd put ice cream in a root beer. It's awesome. And so when I think of the Red X Pharmacy, I think of like, oh, you can go to like, and I think it was like the old soda jerk thing. Like this is in the 80s, 1980s. Um, so it wasn't like the dude with the paper hat, like, hey, let me put some sarsaparilla in your mug kind of thing. But I think it was still um, that kind of old timey. When I talk about Emporia to my wife, it was from uh, Orange Park, Florida, which is just outside of Jacksonville, super suburban, super modern, even in, you know, we we're 13 months apart, but her life was very different uh, than mine. When I talk about Emporia, it really, uh, at least in my mind, it's the land that time forgot. And so a lot of that old school turn of the other century was still kind of in the flavor of things, but in I think the Red X Pharmacy highlights that the most in my mind, but it was a real place. I think it burned down um, either when I was in junior high or high school and then in its place for the longest time. This is a cool restaurant that I never got to go into, but it was cool. I don't know if it's still there. Um, there was a vacant lot that was created when the Red X burned down. Um, 
and they put an old train car, like a dining car, in the lot where the pharmacy was, and then that turned into a sandwich shop. So you could go in there and sit in the train car and eat food, which I just thought would have been the best. For some reason, we never made it over there. Um, but I would also like to congratulate you on this 100th episode of Chapter by Chapter that we have now walked through the door officially into Act 3. Um, I was listening to um, a YouTube channel that I can't remember. No, was it the YouTube channel? No, it was, if you're on Audible, this is awesome. If you're on Audible, um, depending, I guess, depending on the subscription that you have, which I have a very low one, so I'm guessing anybody can access this if you have an Audible subscription. They have a bunch of stuff on there for free, more than your subscription. So uh, I was listening to, you know, how to write a best-selling fiction novel thing and um, one of the great courses thing. And I was, I was uh, reading through that and it was saying um, his style of writing key moments in your story, he called them signposts. And one of them is at this moment that you have something that forces your uh, main character into finishing the, the struggle that they're in. They can no longer just sit idly by and let um, things happen. They must act. And um, there's one that gets you out of act one into act two and another one that gets you out of act two into act three. And sort of you need to build it in such a way that your lead character can't get out of it. They are forced into uh, this next stage. And so this is that moment. Claire finally shows herself in flesh and bone and um, escorts Evan up to his apartment and essentially into the lion's den. And, you know, guns drawn. There's no way Evan's going to get out of this. And... To some degree, I don't think he wants to get out of it, even though he probably needs to play a little scared and um, um, isn't quite sure how all, the thing, all this is going to get wrapped up. But he's finally essentially got all the liars in the room. And so we can finally get to the bottom of things. And this uh, episode 101, when we get into chapter 39, We'll start, uh, it's all one night from chapter 39 to the end of the book. It's all one night, it's all one meeting, uh, but we are going to find out all kinds of things about why things have been going on in Athens, Kansas, uh, in the way that they have been happening. So I hope you tune in next week as we uh, fully are engaged in the wrap up of the story in the start of Act 3 of Shell Game. Uh, if you've been enjoying uh, this uh, show and this book, I uh, would just ask that wherever you listen to these things or uh, purchase the books, that you would go uh, to those places and leave an honest, honest rating and review as that uh, helps get this into uh, the feeds of other people. Um, and tell other people about uh, the show and uh, how much you have enjoyed it. So let's see, I think those are all the things uh, to talk about. I hope you have a great week. I will see you back here next time.